0: Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. In this episode, we take a case study and explore how we can bridge the gap between research and practice. We talk to Lisa O'Reilly, a Senko at an all-through independent boys' school. Lisa talks about how she's developed a space to talk for the boys at her school, has promoted reflection amongst the staff and what skills she's learned along the way. Lisa, welcome to the Emotional Curriculum.
1: Thank you very much. I'm very excited to chat to you today.
0: I wanted to start off by asking you about your journey. And How did you first become interested in SEN and end up where you are now?
1: Um, so when I was at school, I became quite aware that parts of education and learning were different for everybody and there were aspects that I found easier compared to my peers and I was really keen to be able to help other other people which led me to a career in education and predominantly working with pupils who have special educational needs um, and I had quite an interest in autism and I very quickly after I qualified as a teacher moved from mainstream into working specifically with children who have autistic spectrum disorder um, and then in the last 18 months have now moved back into mainstream with a much stronger interest in the mental health and emotional well-being aspects of learning.
0: So do you think your
1: experiences
0: in more specialist settings have helped you now that you've gone back into mainstream?
1: Definitely. I think the pupils that I've worked with um, over the last sort of 12 years where I was 10 to 12 years where I was specialising with working in um, schools that had provision for pupils with ASD, um, I think I really saw the challenges that they face and there were a number of pupils who were, cognitively able to be in you know to be in the mainstream and, and to access mainstream education but the barrier all the time was around mental health or emotional well-being needs um, and I guess when I moved back into mainstream I had quite an interest in how that aspect of growing up and, and developing impacts on mainstream education as well um, and how that's supported
0: and so, as a teacher, how did you find it emotionally going into a specialist setting? Uh,
1: for me, I found it really exciting because I do like to be challenged, um, and I found that I learned so much as well. And I think, I think, as a teacher, one of the reasons that I've stayed in education is because actually I love learning as well. So each time I worked with different age groups there were things that I was learning about the curriculum there were topics that I was teaching that actually I went and you know I had to go and research myself as well so um and obviously a huge a huge part of this was was researching and and learning about autism um and then really just the wide variety of needs that that comes with it and there's no one size fits fits all um and I think that's what keeps that exciting because you know what you do with one people and how you support them may help with working with other peoples but you're not necessarily going to put the same thing in place
0: yeah and I think it's true that individuals do need um, an individualized approach but I'm wondering if there is something that is kind of universal and if that universal thing is relationships something we talk about a lot on this podcast and how important you think relationships are to all the students you work with
1: yeah 100% like I I think that building trust as an educator with these pupils is is paramount to that as well and if they trust you then you can take them to a number of a number of places and you know an example being when schools go on residentials I think that they are really key activities for peoples to be away from home um, but I think that to be able to do that you need to make sure that you've got all the systems in place beforehand so it's quite a long I think anytime you're working with peoples with ASD that actually it's a really long-term commitment and you need to get to know them and they need to be able to trust you and once you've built that up then you can start to break down those barriers of safety
0: yeah and did you have any really good um strategies that work for building that trust between the staff and the pupils
1: um so i don't i don't take myself too seriously in the classroom so i think sometimes letting myself go a little bit and you know talking to pupils about my own life and my own experiences helps them to understand that you're not just this formal professional figure in in the room um you know developing that relaxed classroom feel I think is is important so for you it's kind of about
0: creating the environment that facilitates the relationship building between um the adults and the pupils in the classroom and I'm wondering in your current setting what things have you been trying and putting in place there to support emotional well-being?
1: So um, I now work in a boys school and it's mainstream so it's it's very different to the setting that I've worked in previously um, and there's an academic focus within within the school but they have an amazing pastoral system running alongside that. So there's lots of music and there's lots of sport. When I started there, you know, you realise that the day is, is longer. So the day starts here at 8.30 and finishes at, at four o'clock. Um, and pupils are involved in so many different aspects of, of learning. Um, and conversations that I had about boys being able to access something a little bit more bespoke and a time where they could come and talk about things that were maybe troubling them or things that were going really well for them, maybe things that were internal to school or external to school. So we've set up a provision where, well, I've set up a provision where they can be referred either by the teachers um, or they can refer themselves. And then I meet with the boys and we just have a chat. And really, my role is not to tell them what to do, but actually help them develop their own strategies to manage. Because certainly when you look at something like CBT, that's really about individuals having strategies to be able to go and manage certain situations again and being able to do it independently so um that's kind of that's kind of some of the idea behind it as well that that the pupils that come and attend are in charge of you know what what's going to happen next
0: so it sounds like you're kind of adopting a flexible emotion coaching approach and having that time and space for the child um, to come and talk about how they feel, but then you're leading them towards solution and problem solving once they've had that space to talk about about their emotions.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And we've got it on two different levels here. So we have that one-to-one type approach and then I we've got something that that's like a play-based session as well and that mainly focuses on social skill development and it's you know there are there are times like there was an, as an example I used a picture of a dinosaur to talk about a dinosaur's behavior with a group and then we talked about if we see other pupils behaving like a dinosaur, if they've ever behaved like a dinosaur. So we were able, I was able to use that discussion and just a simple colouring picture to get some feedback about, you know, the social aspects of being in school. So it sounds like you're
0: using kind of metaphors so that the pupils... Um, Are avoiding having to talk directly about themselves which obviously can feel very intense and bring out a lot of shame Um, and that by externalizing the problem a little bit you're kind of helping them to talk about how they feel and their experiences.
1: Yeah yeah because uh, you know if you asked a six-year-old how things were going in the playground it's either great or it's not going to be going well so it, it you know it's kind of trying to find that that balance and as you say trying to Encourage them to, to talk and, and pinpoint areas that you can you can support them. The, the great thing is is that I can then feed that back to relevant staff members and feel that I'm making changes. Um, and it's been great when pupils have said that their sessions with me ha- have been beneficial for them in some way, shape or form. Um, so that's, you know is what keeps the provision going, um, because obviously I'm getting that feedback that says it's important to them. So that's
0: really powerful that they're saying how important it is to them. What kind of things have they been feeding back to you?
1: Um, So a few of them have just said that it's helped them just to be able to talk, um, and there are a few that have been able to talk about the strategies that they've then put in, in place has meant that they've then been able to go on and do something else. Um, others have said that they are not worried about things in the future um, because they've... So if we've been talking about like pre-exam anxiety, um, but they're not worried about any... Any future exams because now they've seen the process of being able to to prepare for that, um, and sometimes for some of the the pupils, it's been that we've made a resource together, and then they're using that in their day to day, you know, schooling and and around school. So they feel that they have that security with them. Um, so yeah, that's 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 kind of the feedback that I've been having from pupils. So to me, it sounds like the power of it is the
0: flexibility. You know, you're not following a set intervention. So whatever the pupil brings, you're kind of responding to it in that moment um, and then able to meet their individual needs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's all about the individual. And, you know, I run some groups as well here, but they are, as you say, a bit more fixed because they're a programme that's that's got an outcome planned um whereas this is completely personalized um, and the boys can guide it themselves as well so yeah if they come in with one focus and then something else arises well that's maybe the direction that it takes and I think that the beauty of it is that when you're in the classroom it's so difficult to do that and I think that you know teachers make every effort to um teachers make every effort to provide that emotional support but but as you say in the moment it it's really difficult it's really difficult to do that
0: i guess what you're touching on there is the idea of containing another person's emotions and making them feel manageable to you um, and and I think you're right in that teachers find that really difficult to do in the classroom because they're not emotionally in a place where, you know, they have the time and the energy and the capability to focus on just um, absorbing and acknowledging that other person's emotions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely is.
0: But I guess the difficulty with that is that you kind of have to have the confidence to feel like in the moment you can respond to what um, the young person brings. And maybe that's why teachers and SYNCOs kind of defer to more structured interventions because they don't know if they have the skills to be able to respond to that moment. Um, that really feels quite
1: therapeutic
0: and are there are there better people placed to be doing that
1: work? I've developed... I guess, a, a strength in my own practice to be able to know that there are sometimes situations that I don't know the answer to or I'm not sure how to guide um, pupils. And I tend to say to them that it's something that we'll think about or I'll have a look into and to come back the following week or in a couple of days and we can talk about it in a bit more detail. So for
0: um, Senkos or teachers that want to put this in place what would you say are the skills that you do need to have to do one of these sessions with um, pupils
1: I think the biggest skill that I've had to learn is about listening and I think it's very easy to think that we listen to people but it's really understanding being like an active listener and having that space and I think I think Particularly as teachers, we always want to help and we always want the best for the, for the pupils in our care. And Sometimes that means that we interject too quickly. So that's probably been one thing that I've really had to
0: learn. I think it's so interesting that you've brought that up um, because, yeah, I agree that I think we often think we're listening, but there's a difference sometimes between listening and actually hearing and really, the hearing bit is trying to completely understand what is the emotion that's driving this behaviour for the child, um, and reacting to that. And have you found any other kind of strategies or ways to support teachers um, in thinking
1: this way? I did a really good training session on sculpting, and I, and that's when I also learnt about this this idea of listening in, like a group of three. So. One person listening and not speaking, and then feeding back what they've heard. And I actually found that quite powerful as a as a professional because it helped me see a situation I was struggling with quite differently. Um, and I've used sculpting as well to discuss an individual case before with a, with a group of members of staff, and that was really powerful in looking at the connections that we assumed that the child had and then being able to to move forward with putting in place different supports so
0: it's really about um practicing that sitting back listening hearing and thinking about what you've heard and the other thing you touched on there was sculpting
1: could you tell us a bit more about what that is um so this is my understanding of sculpting so um I did it with with cups and the idea being that you um so we had a list of people that we thought was important to the cup in the middle which was the pupil um and we then put those names around the outside of of the child and the thing I remember thinking was being quite important was which way the, the child was facing um because there may be people behind that that person. Um, And so when all the, you know, or next to them or in front of them and looking at some of that distance between. So in an ideal world, you'd see the child with their parents and their siblings sort of around them and and next to them and looking at those kinds of attachments that they have and then thinking about where professionals may sit compared to other family members. So um, for, for, for me, I think it's just a really good way of analysing some of those relationships and visually being able to see what's going on. And I think, again, I, people that are in education, I think we're really reliant on what we remember. So when you use a strategy like sculpting and you are putting the plastic cup or the child at the centre and then having the names of people around the edge and then even those discussions about well what why is the teacher at the at the back of them why aren't they at the front of them i I think it's quite powerful to have that dialogue Um, and again i think the teaching day is so busy with so many different factors and you know planning assessment communicating with parents i think there's so many things going on that that we do have those professional dialogues, but when you use something like sculpting, I think it's quite a deep conversation, um, and certainly the times that I've used it, I think people's understanding has been has been different, um, and then it's helped to change maybe some of the strategies or the thinking around, like you say, the the behaviour being the communicator.
0: So it sounds like it's a strategy that just helps um, adults working with people to reframe and see things a bit differently and um, think about things like attachment that they might usually think about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I recently I've, I've been reading a lot more to do with attachment and I'm now beginning to realise the importance of understanding child development as well. And, you know, you take children, sort of going back to... ASD provision you, you take pupils that have needs around expressive language um, and you know we see and we accept that toddlers will have their toddler tantrums and we know that that's part of development but when you see that in a people that's older um, because we assume oh well they look seven so why are they still behaving like a two-year-old well actually developmentally, they have not moved through that stage. And those stages can take longer with, you know, pupils, whether they've got ASD or just speech to language needs, or sometimes it is just a delay in that development. And that's where I think um, having that understanding is, is really important as well.
0: Yeah, so it's about responding not to the age of the child, but their stage of development um, and not letting of their age really influence how you would respond so for schools that want to put something like this in place what would you say their first steps need to be
1: so when i've been on some of my training courses one of the first things that we, that i've done is is do an audit of what i feel the provision is like in place um and then i've discussed it with other other leaders in the in the school um and I think that that's really important to do. So taking your own opinion and then talking to influential members of staff and then taking one area that you want to work on. And I, again, I think this is something that I see that lots and lots of places want to develop their mental health and emotional wellbeing provision. Um, but I think it's about taking the small steps. So yeah, def- I, would, I would look to taking an audit of of what's in place and also finding out what people's interests are or maybe what people's backgrounds are um and using that to shape the provision that you can have in in school Um, and I also think that potentially the thing I've learned is it takes a long time to set something like like this up and it doesn't happen overnight and there's going to be times when it's going really well and other times when you do things that just seem mad um, and don't work and I've been really forgiving of myself for things that have gone wrong Um, and I do think one thing to understand is that if you start to put in a provision like this it's making sure that it's not just about one person And that it is about a group of people, because if that provision is to suddenly go or to suddenly change, it's not the adults that are impacted, it's the children. Um, And, you know, potentially for those that it's having a really positive impact on, it could be quite detrimental to suddenly losing that support system.
0: So it's really about embedding it within the whole system rather than relying on one person. And uh, I guess within that is supporting staff wellbeing
1: to maintain those provisions. Yeah, and, and realising that it's a commitment. You know, it's not, it's not something that we should start and then, oh, it's not working or I don't, you know, I don't have time to do that anymore. Like you've committed to it. <laughs> you've got to keep going because it's it's helpful.
0: Um, Yeah, and I think, like you say, things like this do take time to embed and make the difference, and it's have faith that you're doing the right thing and that it will, things will change.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I don't think I was really aware of the impact here that I, you know, my current school that I was having till I got told a few things that people fed back, or like I had a really lovely parent. Email um, at the end of the summer, and it, I didn't. I didn't realise that I, you know, that I'd helped or touched a family in a way that had such a positive impact for them at a time that that was sad. So, you know, it's yeah, it's a commitment.
0: And is there anything else that you've learned on your journey that you think would be useful to share with other people um, on the same journey?
1: Um, yeah, when you get things, when you get things wrong, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're not, you're not going to cause anybody any harm. It's, it's just looking at, looking at those things and learning from it. Um, and I think the other thing that I've learned is that I also need somebody to talk to. So, you know, and I don't have a stigma around that anymore. Um, and I, again, I think it was when I received some supervision and I didn't really realise how much I was carrying around with me or just how much stress I was feeling at the time. So, you know, now I make sure that I have somebody to talk to that's also in school, um, but just as a sounding board, you know, just to be able to go and offload, because some days it, it is hard
0: yeah I mean I couldn't agree with that more I think getting supervision and support those people that are taking on board the most challenging emotions of pupils in school is is so crucial
1: so Lisa thank you so much for coming on that's quite all right it's been my pleasure I think I could talk about it for ages with you and thank you for listening
0: if you've liked this episode, then please do leave a review, subscribe and follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum. And if you're a school that likes to talk about the evidence-based practice you've put into your work, then please do contact us on TheEmotionalCurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.